All right, we're in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6. We're talking about Jesus being greater than anything. And I guess it's two weeks ago now, we looked at the end of Hebrews chapter 5. And if you remember, that talked about milk and meat, uh, that these people were not as mature spiritually as they should. And he said, I have a lot of things to say to you, but I can't say them because they're hard to explain because you're dull of hearing. And we looked at what does it mean to be spiritually mature versus spiritually immature and, uh, and that we need to grow up. We need to grow in our walks with Christ. We need to, to seek to, to build on the foundation that God has given us in his word and, and know him more and more. Um, today we're looking at Hebrews 6 in which we find probably the most difficult passage of scripture to interpret in the Bible. Okay, one of them. Uh, last week we talked about how, uh, you know, the author says, some things are hard to explain to you. He said, Something, some, sometimes things are hard to explain, not because the concepts are difficult, but because the, the hearers aren't listening well, right? They're, they're not ready for that level of knowledge. But other times, there are things in Scripture um, that are hard to explain because they're hard to understand, the scripture is clear that we can understand the gospel. We can understand God's truth. We can read it every day and understand what God has for us. Tony, um, he, he, there is a clarity to scripture, but there are some spots that you read and you scratch your head and you're like, what in the world does this mean? And we're going to look at one of those passages today. And I think it's great for us not to bypass those difficult passages, not just to pretend like there's not difficult passages, but to dive in and investigate them. So this one might be a little bit more like digging in, okay? Um, but I hope, hopefully we'll be able to, to really glean the truth from it and learn from it. Today we're going to be learning that Christians can't stop. Can't stop, won't stop, right? Um, and we'll see how, that, how this passage uh, seeks to communicate that to us today. You know, there was some other person really famous in the Bible who thought that there are parts of Scripture that were really hard to understand. You know who that was? Peter. Did you know that Peter said there's some really hard to understand parts in the Bible? 2 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16 says, And count the patience of our Lord of salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Which, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So here's Peter, an apostle, one who's inspired by God to write part of the Bible. And he says, you know, some of the scriptures that Paul wrote are hard to understand. Okay, so if Peter struggles with some parts of the Bible, we'll probably struggle with some parts of the Bible too. But um, this passage of scripture, Hebrews chapter 6, um, there's, there's been so much written about this and, 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 and different views on it. And uh, we're going to dig into it and see if we can understand it um, today. All right? and, and I think the point of this whole passage is going, to, is going to communicate to us that what do Christians do when God saves us, when God transforms us and, and, um, and makes us his own, he, he, he pushes us forward. Christians can't stop. They continue growing. Now, are they sometimes immature? Do sometimes they sin and they mess up? Yes, absolutely. Just like the readers in Hebrews here where he says you should be further along, right? You should be teachers, but now you're, you're still way down here. But they're still growing. They're still moving to maturity. They're still uh, becoming more like Christ. And, and that's what salvation does for us. That although we still struggle with sin, even after being saved, Christ is continually pushing us forward because Christians 
can't stop. So what we're going to do is we're just going to read Hebrews chapter 6. Um, and we're actually just going through verse 12 today. And, uh, and, and you might, I, I want you to think as I'm reading these, what, what in this passage is really hard to understand? Okay. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this, will we, this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those whose, for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. And though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation." For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving saints, as you still do. And we desire that each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Does anyone catch what is kind of hard to understand in this passage? Abel? This is uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 12. Yeah. Anyone catch what is kind of, oh, what, what's this saying here? Anyone? Hannah. Anyone else catch that? It says, it's impossible for those who've been enlightened, that have tasted the heavenly gift, that have shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance because they're crucifying the Son of God afresh. So here's the really difficult passage. Is this saying that those who are saved can lose that salvation? It kind of seems like it's saying that. So we need to really dig in because whenever you come to a difficult portion of Scripture, you need to interpret Scripture with Scripture. You need, to, you need to consider the whole of it and say, okay, in light of what all Scripture says, does that add any clarity to what this difficult passage says? And, and that's part of what we, we're going to do today. But before we get to the difficult part, let's kind of lay the groundwork of how he gets there, okay? And we'll, we'll get to the, the, tough, the tough questions here. The first thing he, he kind of encourages them is, well, let's keep moving, okay? Let's keep moving. Remember, at the end of chapter 5, he's like, you, you, you're... you're, you're, you're on milk and you should be eating meat, you should be spiritually mature, you should be teachers by now, but you're still kind of babies in, in, in Christ, and so you need to move on to maturity. And then chapter 6, therefore, right, there's a connecting word, let's leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and, and go on to maturity. He says, let's build off the foundation and move on to growth. And he highlights what a, seri- a series of doctrines to illustrate the foundation of Christian teachings that we shouldn't have to go over again. Remember he said that you have to relearn the basic stuff. You have to relearn the simple stuff, and that's keeping you from going on to the deep stuff. 
So he says, basically, let's, let's move on from Christianity 101. Um, have you ever skipped a class in school and jumped into like a higher level class and realized, I don't know what they're talking about. And they keep referencing an earlier class. Like, now we learned in 101, or we learned in the last class that you weren't in, and you're like, oh man, I, I, don't, I didn't learn any of that stuff, right? It's like a prerequisite. You have to do the, the easy class first, and then you get to the harder class next. And, and so he's saying, you've laid the foundation, you've laid the basic stuff, now we need to gr- build on that foundation. He's not saying, reject the foundation or reject the gospel, he's saying, build on it. And what does he say we should build on? He talks about the start of your Christian walk, repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Right? This is the core of our response to the gospel, that Jesus, as, as Jeremy meant, t- taught us on, on Thursday, everything Jesus Christ did in his suffering, in his death on the cross for us, bearing our sins so that we can have forgiveness, that we can, we, can, um, we can be free from the yoke of our own sinfulness. And he did all of that so that we can, by faith, Turn from our dead works, our, our dead attempts to earn our salvation, to earn our favor before God, and, and, and place our faith in Christ alone. And so he talks about the start of our Christian walk, and then this one's a little harder to, to, to understand in our context, but it talks about moving on from instruction about washing and the laying on of hands. Um, most likely, instruction about washings, um, that washings is the Greek word baptizo, bat, baptize, so he's probably talking about baptism. Laying on of hands in the, in the New Testament, the book of Acts, was, a, was a, something they would do when, when, when uh, someone received the Holy Spirit. When they were baptized and they received the Holy Spirit and, and they laying on of hands. And so it kind of is, is, these two things are communicating the idea of you've, you're saved and now you're going into the journey of the Christian walk. And then the culmination of your Christian walk. Moving on from the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. What happens after you die, right? When you leave this world... And the gospel says that, that, that we'll all stand before God um, and, and either seek to earn our way into heaven, saying, I, I tried my best, or we depend on the works of Christ. And we say, no, it's Christ, what Christ did for me that gives me salvation, that gives me favor with God. And so these things are the really core of the Christian faith. This is Christianity 101. These are really important things to know. And if you don't know these things, this is where you've got to start. Right? This isn't saying these are unimportant Forget about these. Go on to the deeper stuff. No, I'm saying these, make sure you got these down. Make sure you understand this um, so that you can grow in your knowledge of Christ and your knowledge of, of his word and move on to maturity. So he's saying, let's keep moving. He's talking to these people saying, you should be mature by now. So let's build on your foundation. Instead of relearning the stuff you already know, let's see the implications. Let's build on that. And so he says, let's keep, keep moving because Christians don't stop. Because Christians don't <clears throat> stop. You know, there is a, a phenomenon that occurs frequently in life that we as Christians need to account for. Something that happens to a lot of people in life that we should be able to say, okay, what just happened in that person's life is described here in Scripture. Like, like Scripture um, anticipates this. What is that phenomenon? There are a lot of people out there who say that there was a time in their life when they were firmly convinced that the Bible was true. They read all the books about Christianity. They read through the Bible. They went to all the conferences. They witnessed to lost people. They, even, they went to church every time they could. Some of them even said, I became a pastor. 
But now I just don't believe it anymore. They've rejected Christianity. So at one point it looked like, yeah, of course they're Christians. Now they're saying, no, I'm not. There are those who profess Christianity, but eventually they stop moving. What's happening there? Because it happens a lot. And, you know, I went to a small Christian school. A lot of my classmates, we had 13 kids in our class. A lot of them, this is their story. When I knew them, man, they, they, they went to church. They said, yeah, I'm a Christian. I prayed a prayer. I, I, believe in, I believe in Jesus. But now, no, they don't believe any of it. What's happening there? And if it happens so often, which it does, does the scripture have anything to say about that? Does the scripture offer any explanation about that? Does that bring into jeopardy what we believe as Christians that once you're saved, once Jesus keeps you, he keeps you. He, he doesn't let you go. He transforms you. Is, is, is that reality, people, that happening to people, does that jeopardize that belief that once you're saved, you're in, you're, you're secure in him? And even as we read this passage, we ask ourselves, is this saying that, that what happened for those people or they, they got saved, Jesus saved them and transformed them and then they lost it? Is that what's happening here? What is going on? How do we explain the phenomenon of professing Christians who seem to be checking all of the boxes, eventually rejecting it? You know, it's not simple enough for us to say, ah, well, you know, they were just pretending the whole time. That they never, like, they, 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 they sneakily inside of them said, I don't like Jesus. I, I, I don't believe in him, but I'm going to say outwardly that I do. That's not the case for a lot of these people that, that end up rejecting Christianity. You ask them and they'll say, no, when I was in high school, I, I believed in Jesus. I prayed to him, all this stuff. And you're like, oh, man, what? Well, then what happened? Why why are they rejecting it? So it's really confusing. Were they genuinely saved, but then they lost their salvation? I think this passage, Hebrews 6, accounts for that situation. And I don't believe this passage is saying that Christians can lose their salvation. And I'll I'll seek to prove that um, from our passage today and from other passages. What he does here says, you know, keep moving as Christians because Christians don't stop. Christians keep growing. And then he's going to talk about the danger of stopping. Verses 4 through 6, he gives the warning. Let's look at those passages again. He says, 4, well, he says, verse 3, and well, this will do if God permits. What's, what are we going to do? We're going to move on to maturity. We're going to keep growing. We're going to keep going. And this will do if God permits. 4, it is impossible in the case of those who had once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and shared the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the ages to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. So he's going to talk about the danger of stopping. And we need to ask this question, who is the them that he's talking about? Verse 4 begins by saying, it is impossible. And then verse 6 finishes the sentence with, to restore them again to repentance. So the main point he's saying here is, It's impossible to restore them again to repentance. And then all the words in between those two phrases describe who is he talking about. Well, these are people that have experienced something and then have fallen away. 
So in order to understand who we're talking about here, are these Christians that lost their salvation? Are these just unbelievers that were pretending? Who was he talking about here? We need to ask, what was their experience? And then what does it mean that they fell away? What's their experience? What did they experience? It talks about they, they were enlightened. Okay? They've been shown the truth. They, they were enlightened. They saw the truth of God's word. It says they've tasted God's blessing. It said they shared in the Holy Spirit. They experienced the Spirit's activity all around them. They tasted God's word. And then they've fallen away. So they have a rejection of these things, okay? And, and this falling away has to do with how they view Jesus. Because verse 6 says, they're crucifying once again the Son of God in their own, to their own harm, and they're holding Him up to contempt. They are, they are rejecting Jesus and His sacrifice. They're saying, I, I don't believe in Christ. I don't believe that His sacrifice is what saves me from my sin. I'm holding Him up in contempt. I am rejecting Him. I'm falling away. In other words, they didn't fall away because they didn't do enough good things. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying, well, they, they, they tried really hard, but their good work started to outweigh their bad works, and so they fell away. No, the core of their falling away was that they rejected Jesus and what the Bible says about Jesus. So they've had some type of experience, right? They've experienced something that looks like, looks like salvation, I mean, they've, they've been enlightened. They've seen the Spirit. They've tasted the goodness of God and the goodness of the Word. But then they fell away. But to understand who we're talking about, I think we need to go back to the context of the book as a whole. Do you remember when we were looking in chapters 3 and 4 of this book, we talked about another warning where it talked about hard not in your heart, hearts as in the days of, of rebellion in the wilderness. When there were people that, when God rescued children of Israel out of Egypt, there was a whole bunch of people that were with him, that were seeing the works of God for 40 years, and they fell away. And, and why did they fall away? What was the reason for them falling in the wilderness and not going into the promised land? Does anyone remember what the reason was? Why did they fall away? Because of their unbelief. So they didn't believe God, right? They said, nope, I don't believe God and his word. And because of that, they could not enter the rest because they, because they did not believe in God. And we, at, we learned this truth. Are you along for the ride, but haven't bought into the message? Do you remember that? It's very easy to be along for the ride, to kind of experience everything that Christianity has to offer, but not fully bought in to the message. In chapters 3 and 4 of the same book, the author points back to the children of Israel who were wandering in the wilderness. Not all of them saw, received the promises, but they saw and experienced God's mighty works and His abundant blessing, and they ultimately re- revealed through their disobedience that they, had not, they did not have transformed hearts. Here's some of the passages that say that. Hebrews 3, verses 7 through 9. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test, they saw my works 40 years. They saw the pillar of fire. They saw the Red Sea split in two. They saw manna. They saw the quail. They saw the water from the rock. They saw their garments never wear out and their sandals never wear out. They saw God's protection. They saw God's deliverance. Saw his works 40 years. 
Verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to what? Fall away from the living God. Same word that we, same idea that we see here in chapter 6. What's the falling away? It's unbelief. It's saying, I don't believe in Jesus. Verses 18 through 19, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And so we're challenged in chapter 4, let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What's the disobedience? It's unbelief. So these were people who experienced so much, but ultimately rejected God and his word. And then they fell away because of unbelief. Now with that illustration in mind, if we're going to think about that group of people, and then look at chapter 6, let's ask the question, does that fit with what we read in verses 4 through 6? So, we're going to be asking the question, who are these verses describing? It says that this group of people were once enlightened, just like the people of Israel were, saw the pillar of fire lead them through the wilderness, saw the guidance of, of, of the Lord. These people tasted the heavenly gift, just like the people in the wilderness tasted the heavenly manna, along with other believers. They shared in the Holy Spirit, just like the people of Israel benefited from the Spirit's protection in the work while they were wandering in the wilderness. They tasted the goodness of the Word of God, just like these unbelieving Israelites in the wilderness heard the law spoken from God's own mouth at Mount Sinai, and then they'd fallen away. When it came for them to place their trust in God's promises, they revealed they did not believe in God's Word. So, man, they saw all the good stuff. They saw all the deliverance and all the protection and all the miracles. And, and they were right along there with the crowd. And, and I'm sure they praised God's name and a lot of, thank you for the manna, thank you for the quail, thank you for, for all of that. But when it came time, when they were about to enter the promised land, and there's these, there's these giants in the promised land and these massive armies, and God says, I will deliver you, I will protect you. And when push comes to shove, and they realize, oh, man, now it's time to put our money where our mouth is here and actually believe God in the face of opposition, they, they say, no, we want to go back to Egypt. We, we don't believe you. Revealing they had a heart of unbelief. And when I look at verses 4 through 6, this is the type of person that I see. Man, they've seen everything. They've experienced everything. But they don't believe in Christ. So who are these verses describing? I, it's not describing those who were genuinely saved. It's, descri- it's describing the same group that we saw in verses 3 through 4. Those who saw God's works, participated in and with the people of God, enjoyed the protection and the blessing of God toward His people, but always had an unbelieving heart. And then he's going to illustrate this. Okay? Um, we see the warning given, and then he's going to illustrate this. How does he illustrate it? Look in verse 7. For the land has drunk the, that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. So, this illustration clarifies even more who he's talking about. It talks about a field that has drunk the rain that often falls on it. And if it bears a crop... If it bears fruit, it's blessed. And if it bears thorns and thistles, it's burned. So what's the rain? Okay, what's the rain that's falling on the ground? 
It's what we saw in verses 4 through 5. The heavenly gift, the Holy Spirit, the goodness of the Word of God. All of these blessings. This is the rain falling on the ground. In other words, we could say, if we're using the illustration of the, the children of Israel in the wilderness, this is all of the blessings that were brought to the people of Israel as a whole. And in there were believers and there were unbelievers. And they all experienced that blessing. And the, what's the field? It's, it's the people, right? And while some people see and hear God's word and work and they bear the fruit of faith and repentance, other people respond or grow thorns and thistles of unbelief. And there's really no discernible difference between the two until something starts to grow. Right? When it's, the water starts pouring, it's just like everyone's getting the blessings. Everyone's enjoying the same benefit. But then, but then when that water starts to, to, starts to grow things and, and, and plants start to form, that's when you see the difference between belief and unbelief. You know, I think of the parable of the soils in Luke 8. Let's, let's turn there real quick, okay? Turn over to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, and we're going to be in verse um, starting, in, starting in verse 9 of chapter 8. This is you know, the parable of the sower, right? Where some seed fell on the road and some seed fell on the rocky ground or the thorny ground and then the good ground. And then Jesus is explaining what does that mean? And he's saying that the seed is the word of God and it's sown and it lands on different types of soil and then people hear it and react to it differently. And what are some of the ways that this seed, uh, how the soil reacts to the word of God? Look in verse, down in verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. This, the ones along the path are those who have heard. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from the hearts. So they may not believe and be saved. And, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, what do they do? They, they receive it with joy. But they have no root. And they believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. Okay, now, does that sound like Hebrews 6 a little bit? Yeah, it kind of does. That This is describing a group of people that hear the word of God, they hear the gospel, and it says they believe for a while. So there's an, a, a sense in which they assent to the gospel, and they say, yeah, that sounds awesome. But in times of testing... It says they fall away. They have no root, it says. And as for those who fell among thorns, those are those who hear. But as they go their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for those, and for that in the good soil, look at the difference here. They are those who, hearing the word, they hold fast in an honest and good heart. And bear fruit with patience. So, both illustrations tell us something. The illustration in Hebrews 6 of the land that drinks the water falling from heaven and some produces a crop and some produces uh, thorns and thistles. It's telling us that there is a way to receive the gospel even if you say you believe it without there actually being genuine faith. Let's just play it out. Is it possible to pray a prayer and not be saved? Yes, that's possible. Is it possible to convince yourself, yeah, I'm a Christian, but you're not? Is that possible? Yeah, it is. Saving faith is something that Christ works in your heart. 
that, 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 that the, the Holy Spirit transforms you. And, and there's saving faith. There's faith that saves. That, that when we, in an honest and pure heart, we say, Jesus, you are my Savior. I, 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 I repent of my sins and I, and I ask you to rescue me and save me from my sins. I, I want you to be my Savior. And when that's coming from a heart of, of, of humility, saying, yes, this is what I believe and, and I want you to, to, to save me. It's from that heart Jesus comes in, rescues you, saves you, and seals you. That you are His. No one will snatch you out of the Father's hand, the Bible says. And, and when Christ remakes you, He doesn't unmake you. Okay, you can't be unmade. You cannot be untransformed. But there's, things that, that, there's ways in which we believe things without it being true belief. Okay? Um, how many of you believed in Santa Claus when you were little? Does anyone still believe in Santa Claus? <laughs> okay, all right. So, was that, those of you who believed in Santa Claus, was that a genuine belief? No. Never was. Never was? Anyone say, like, man, I was convinced. Okay, right? I'm so sorry. I was terrified. And then, <laughs> and then <laughs> like, my dad, he was so convinced in Santa Claus that, like, he, and this is kind of creepy, he would, like, pray to him. He, he didn't get saved till high school or college, all right? But, I mean, but think about it. I mean, how it's presented. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good, so he'll be good for goodness sake. It's like, he's like a deity, you know? And so, yeah, kids will believe, yes, I believe in Santa Claus. You know, that he's real. And then they grow up, and they're like, oh, no, he's not real. You know, sometimes that's some of people's experience of Christianity. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they grow up. And the cares of this world and the, and the deceitfulness of riches or, or trials in life. And they realize, oh, no, I guess I don't believe. That there is a way that just mentally we can assent to something and say, yeah, well, this is what everyone else believes. This is what my church believes. This is, this is what I've always heard. So, yeah, you know what? I think it would be good for me to believe this too. And, and, and we just kind of assent to it. And we like, yeah, this will be, be my, my, my faith. But there's no root, like it says in the parable of the soils. There, there's no humble and genuine heart that says, Christ, you are my Savior. What you did on the cross, I want to receive for myself. I want to call on you to, to, to forgive me of my sins and to transform me and make me new. Some people might believe because it's popular and easy. Why not? Some people might believe, and I put those in air quotes, because they're pressured into it. Some might believe because they prayed a prayer. And none of these describe someone who hold fast to the gospel in an honest and good heart. Those who place their faith in Christ alone. Because when that happens... There's transformation. And when that happens, you start to grow. And you start to change. And you start to see sins in your life that, that, that Christ is pointing out to you. And, and, and you repent every day for, 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 for your sins. And you, you thank Christ for his high priestly work that we've been seeing in, in Hebrews. You start to see this growth. And you're not always mature enough. These people weren't mature enough. They, 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 they should have been a lot further along than they were. But... They were still believers. And so let's tie this all together, okay? He says in verses 1 through 3, let's move on to maturity. Because those who start off with us, but eventually fall away, are those who reject the message of Jesus. 
Just like the people in the wilderness who saw all of the evidence in, they needed but still reject the gospel, there are people in the church that have heard the gospel, have seen the Spirit work in powerful ways, have read the Bible, even enjoyed the Bible, have served in church, have shared the gospel with others, but as the fruit starts to form, it becomes evident that they have an evil, unbelieving heart. In one way, they believed the gospel, air quotes, but they never humbly and fully depended on Christ for their salvation. That happens a lot in the church. Happens a lot in youth groups. And he's saying There's, this is what happens in many cases. And in those cases, when you reject the only hope for your salvation, right? When, when there's, there's only one way, right? There's only one sacrifice that can forgive you of our sins. That Jesus came and paid it all. And then, if you reject that one way, he's saying, well, there's no... That's it. You, you, like, like, you've rejected the only option for you. And it's impossible to to restore you again because you've rejected the one thing that gives you salvation. And so those who fall away, they, they've fallen away because they rejected the one source of life. And so it talks about the, the danger of stopping and then he talks about the assurance of moving. And here's one really interesting verse that I think shows us that what he just described in verses 4 through 6 is not talking about people who were genuinely saved and then lost their salvation. Look in verse 9. I have it on the screen. Though we speak in this way, in what way? What I just talked about, verses 4 through 6. Those who have seen all these things, experienced all these things, and fallen away. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. What things? Things that belong to salvation. Can you see the distinction he's trying to make here? All right. What I just described is not related to salvation. But when I think about you, I'm convinced of better things. I'm convinced of things pertaining to salvation. What I see in your life, when I see your testimony, I'm assured of not what I just described, those who reject Christ. I'm assured of something better. I'm assured of salvation things in your life because he says when 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 christians are saved they can't stop they falter and they slip up and they mess up and they sin and 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 so often we think that the christian life is sorry for i know i know sorry bob sorry all you very artistic works of art um you know we think of like the christian life like this like all right here's the cross I'm, I, I come along, I get saved, and zoop, right? Just grow, boom, all the way to heaven. That's not the Christian life, is it? It's like this. It's like, right? I'm growing again, and I falter a little bit, and then I'm struggling, and then the Fraser team comes, and I'm really encouraged, woohoo, you know, and then the next week comes, and, and then I fall back into sin again. It's like, right? But what's the trajectory? You're still, you're still growing. And we have low points and high points. And he says, when I look at you, even though I just called you immature and I called you babies in Christ because you're still on milk, I'm still convinced that in, in terms of your testimony, you're saved. What made him confident in their salvation? Well, let's look in verse 10. It says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name, by serving the saints as you still do. What was it about their life that he looked at and said, oh man, those are saved people. 
Those are people that have been transformed by Christ. It's really simple. They were loving God by serving others. That's what convinced them. Was it the fact that they've grasped all the deep stuff? That they're, that, that they're mature Christians? That they, they've moved on from milk? Is that what assured them of their salvation? No. Yeah, they, they've, they've crossed all their T's and dotted all their I's and they've, they've, they've kept every single rule and, and they're, really, they're really perfect Christians. No, that's not what assured him. He said, you know what no, helps me see that you have been transformed by Jesus, that when you called on him, he made you new, that you were born again? Well, you love God and you love other people. And, and that's really the, the evidence that the scripture shows all throughout the Bible. 1 John three fourteen. we know that we've passed out of death into life. Because we love the brothers. And whoever doesn't love abides in death. How do we know that we pass from death into life? We love. First John 4, 7 through 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love God, who does not love, does not know God. Because God is love. Right? All throughout Scripture, those who Jesus saves... It, it, the transformation shows itself in just a simple, I love God and I love other people. So the assurance is found in, there's evidence of, of, of a transformation in your life. Look in verse 11. Look in verse 11. And we desire that each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. He says, I want you, because Christians keep moving, they don't stop, what do I want you to do? I want you to have full assurance, I want you to have earnestness, to have full assurance of hope until the end. So that you may not be sluggish or lazy, but imitators of those who through faith and patience Inherit the promises. In other words, when he looked at these people, he looked at them and he saw immature Christians who weren't growing like they should, but he saw the fruit of genuine salvation in their lives because he saw a love for God and a love for others. But he wanted them to keep on moving and keep on growing because that's what Christians do. And he says, don't be sluggish. Don't get lazy. Those who are along for the ride but don't believe in the message, they eventually fall away because they're not Christians. They never were. Those who went out from us proved that they were not of us. Because if they were of us, they would have continued with us. And he says, that's not you. How do I know that? Because you love God by serving others. And yeah, you've got problems. But man, Christ has saved you. He's transformed you. And so keep moving. And this is the testimony. This is the challenge for us. Don't stop moving. Don't get lazy. Show some earnestness in your faith. Don't lose sight of the promises that God has given you. Don't get distracted. And what does this do? This earnestness produces full assurance. And what does this mean for us? Did you know that, you know, I'm sure a lot of you have struggled with the assurance of your salvation. I did. Oftentimes when we struggle with the assurance of our salvation, it's, it's, it's when we slow down, we get lazy, when we get distracted, we focus on other things. During those times, you probably struggle with your assurance. And you might wonder, wow, am I really saved? And I want you to know, there's a difference between struggling with your assurance and losing your salvation. Right? Struggling with assurance does not mean you're at risk of losing your salvation. It just means that you're not doing what Christians do. <laughs> 
You're not growing like you should. And, and so sometimes you struggle with doubt. And so what produces full assurance? Earnestness, movement, pursuit of Christ, an eye on the promises of God. Assurance is found as you eagerly pursue Jesus, knowing and loving Him more. And as you look to Him, our assurance found in Christ, you look to Him more and more and you say, He is my assurance. I mean, it's such a blessing, such a, such a comfort that, that my assurance for my salvation isn't found in the fact that I prayed some prayer back in the day. It isn't found in the fact that I went to church as a kid. That's not the source of my assurance. That, that just like it wouldn't be the source for the children of Israel in the wilderness with the evil, unbelieving heart. If you looked back at the fact that he was rescued from Egypt as the, as the proof that he believed in God, that would be, that would be wrong of him. Because it's a matter of the heart. And so I don't look back on, on all of those things that maybe I experienced as a kid as a source of my confidence. Where's the source of my confidence? It's what I'm looking to. It's, it's what I'm looking forward to, the promises of God. And to drive this home in our next verses, verses 13 and following, he's going to shift gears to how, how um, reliable and dependable the promises of God are. That, that, that they are the source and ground of our assurance. That there's nothing more dependable than the promises of God. Christians keep moving because our eyes are on Jesus who rescued us and saved us and forgave us. And if you're like, you know, you hear all this and you're like, well, you know, I'm still on the Christianity 101 thing. I'm still, still trying to wrestle with like the whole sacrifice of Christ and repentance and faith and, and what does that mean and, and all that. Then don't, don't get ahead of yourself. Focus there. Focus there. Consider what Jesus did for you. Consider the offering, the free gift that he's given you. And, and embrace that. And ask him to be your savior. And for those of you who are like, yeah, you know, I, I've, 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 I've made it through Christianity 101 and, and I want to grow in my knowledge and walk with Christ. I want to know him more. The challenge for us is don't slow down. Don't be content with where you are. Keep moving. Keep growing. That was a lot of what the, the Fraser team talked about uh, this past week, that, that true discipleship, what is that, right? What does it mean to be a true disciple? It's someone who, who, who embraces the cross, that carries his own cross, that, 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 that um, is willing to, to go through the time of testing and, and trial and, and, and dedicate everything to Christ. And that should be our testimony as we look ahead to the promises of God. So in this really difficult passage that's hard to understand, we see actually a really comforting assurance that those who God saves, He keeps. And those who God saves, He grows and He matures and He strengthens and He, and he, and he convicts and, he, and he, um, he gives them His grace each and every day. And we need to not stop, but keep moving closer to Christ. Lord, we thank You for... Um, the, the gift of the gospel, Lord, that we as sinful, weak people with trials and struggles and worries and fears can come to you 
the perfect sacrifice and have all of our sins forgiven, all of our sins washed away, that our heart of sin can be remade into a heart that loves you, that you can transform the lowliest of sinners and use them to glorify yourself. Lord, I pray that we would never lose sight of how incredible that message is. I pray, Lord, that you'd help every believer here to pursue you, to look to the promises, to, to not get distracted, not to get lazy, but to look with confidence to everything you've done and everything that you promised for us in the future. In your son's name we pray. Amen.